This is a true story. The events depicted in this podcast took place on post-show recaps in 2015. At the request of the hosts, the names have not been changed. Out of respect for the listeners, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred. Well, mostly... Fargo season one is over, but season two is just about to get started. Ah, oh, geez, here we go again. Or for the first time, it's the Fargo podcast on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by a man who, uh, he's tried to throw me in the wood chipper a few times. Antonio Mazzaro. What's up, Antonio? Oof the, really? Oof You're going to go right to the wood chipper, Josh. Well, I, I know, I feel like at this point, the embargo on all things upstate New York has been lifted, the right? The Fargo embargo? Fargo embargo. Oh, early front runner for the hashtag, and we're here. We're here. We're here with a man who has been with us to Upstate New York in the True Detective podcast. Coming back, it's Jeremiah Panhorse. What's up, Jeremiah? What is up? How you guys doing, man? I'm so excited to be back podcasting with you guys, the two legends of post show recaps. No, you're you're the legend. We are we are mere servants to your awesomeness. Jeremiah is here in the mix. Antonio is here. I am here, and we are all here together. To podcast Fargo season two, we're going to be doing this every single episode of Fargo season two here on Post Show Recaps. And before we get started with all of that, we wanted to pay tribute to a season that we did not podcast. We did not get to talk about Fargo season one. And uh, Antonio, I feel like uh, we made a mistake. We screwed up. We did that. We blew that one. We really did, yeah. and that's too bad yeah. because you know I don't know. We could have uh, done an adaptation of the TV show Fargo into some other work. Like we could just continue to reduce this into something else there's so many options and yet here we are and yet here we are so this is what we're doing we're going to be recapping every episode of fargo season two as it's going it's premiering on monday october 12th very soon we're recording this preview show on the saturday before that so hopefully you guys are getting to listen to this before you listen to the premiere recap which we will be recording on the night of the premiere talking about Fargo season two, which is a, a very different story from Fargo season one, new cast of characters, uh, some characters crossing over, but new cast, new time period, new murder, new everything going to be really fun. Uh, Jeremiah, did you watch this show while it was on? I sure did. What was I your wa- take? Watch it live. I, it was uh, one of the few shows that year, last year that I was really looking forward to after seeing some of the stuff early on. And, uh, I was like, really pumped to see it. And I am so glad that I gave it a chance that I did not skip out on it because it was worth every moment of it. The pilot was so great and it just sucked me in right away because I mean, I was a fan of the the movie. I think just about everybody that was probably a fan of the movie probably gave it a shot, hopefully. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just glad I did. So yeah, I watched it live. What about yourself? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I was covering the show a little bit uh, for work before it premiered. I got to do a set visit for this one. I got to go to the Canada set of, uh, of Fargo. I got to talk to a bunch of the cast members. I was really excited about it. I really? loved the pilot. I got to watch that. I was very locked in. I was very ready to go. And then life happened, and I just couldn't continue watching it for whatever reason. And I've only recently gone through the entire thing as one binge watch shot. And I really regret that I didn't watch this as it was live. It's so 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 good um i remember when when fargo beat out true detective didn't fargo or, or fargo won anthology at the at the emmys uh, or miniseries at the emmys and yes. i think that they put true detective up for best drama series and i remember fargo walking away with the big emmy wins and true detective not cleaning up the way that a lot of people thought and i was right. kind of surprised by that because true detective season one was such a great season and fargo now was suddenly really on my radar and i just didn't get a chance to check it out but People obviously really loved it. Now that I've watched it, it's it's so clear why people did. Uh, Antonio, I feel like it's a similar story for you where you did not watch it while I was live, but you watched it in its entirety fairly recently. Yeah, that's correct. And I I have some regret that I didn't watch it while it was live, but I I, I mean, I was really saving it for a time because I knew that I was going to love it. Like there, the people that I really trusted, a really good friend of mine named Andrew was just bugging me incessantly. You have to watch Fargo. Did you watch Fargo? <laughs> You're going to love Fargo. Fargo, Fargo, Fargo. And at, at, at a certain point, I was like, I'm... 
I'm convinced that I'm going to love this thing. I'm saving it because I know I'm going to love it. And uh, I just, I'm going to tear through it when it happens. And sure as you're born, that's exactly what happened. I, I put it on and, and I really, I binged it about a couple, a couple weeks ago. And I've since rewatched it basically two thirds of the way through again. So I, and I don't know that I'll ever stop. This is, this first season was so, so good. You're just going to keep binge watching it on a loop. I think, forever? I, think I will. I mean, I think oh that that God. will, that will serve me well. It's a little, it's a little bit of winter you can put right in your pocket. Yeah, at this point in the podcast is where we do a time jump to two years from now, and Antonio still has not stopped watching Fargo season. <laughs> also, one. I stopped showering. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, <laughs> no it's showering, nothing, just constant Fargo, twenty four hours a day. Yes, it's true. Wow, what a life. Jeremiah is the only one who watched this one weekly. Jeremiah, what was it like to watch this show weekly? Antonio and I only have the binge watch experience. What was it like to have to wait in between episodes for for a new episode? Well, I always be able to judge a show on how much I'm enjoying it by how excited I am each week for it to come back. And this was a, sh- a show immediately. I could not wait for the next episode. It would, I mean, it like it took you in right away. I, I was surprised because I, you know, I was really concerned when it first when I first heard about. it. I was like, okay, here's another attempt at trying to turn a movie into a TV show, and it wasn't. You know, I'm always leery of that. You know, because I don't know how it's going to turn out. But right. these guys, everybody did such a fantastic job into making it really feel, uh, especially the tone and the look of it, like like it would be an extension to the movie. And it just – it dragged me in. So each week I was extremely excited to watch the episodes. And to me, that's uh, that's the calling card to whether or not it's a good show is whether or not you really, really cannot wait for the next episode. And I and I did. I was, I was excited for each one. Yeah, I, I think that that was, you know, that was very much the idea. Again, I got to talk to some of these people before the show started, and I got to sit down with Noah Hawley, who's the writer of the whole show. And his agenda was to do, you know, rather than adapt Fargo the movie as a 10-hour series, he wanted to make a 10-hour Coen Brothers movie. Not even a 10-hour Fargo movie, a 10-hour Coen Brothers movie. And that's why you see a lot of influence from a bunch of other Coen Brothers stories. He talks about No Country for Old Men being a big influence. I have seen a serious man but i believe that that's an influence in here as well antonio i know that's a favorite of yours yeah that's a good i mean i love all the coen brothers movies to be yeah, fair so I, I think that 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 was the idea that's that's what that's what he was trying to channel in the writing of this thing is like i just want to capture the spirit of the coens in a 10-hour show and i want that to be the driving creative force behind this thing uh and as a fan of coen brother movies i think that it's a it's a huge huge success in that regard yeah and correct me if i'm wrong josh maybe you read this too but i read that noah likes to look at the tv series as just chapters so right. like if the movie was one chapter like chapter eight or something and then this new series or this season is going to be would have been like chapter two and then the first season of fargo is like chapter you know 11 or something like so he looks at his chapters of this of these interesting stories that takes place in this part of the country where crime really t- just takes a life of itself and it is it, I think that's when you look at it that way as this being just chapters of this ongoing story, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. And I like I like the way the direction that they're going with this. Yeah, he, he has he says something in an interview with Vulture uh, after the season one finale where he's asked how he would approach another season. This was before season two was confirmed. And he, he said something to the effect of I like the idea that somewhere out there there's a big leather bound book called The History of True Crime in the Midwest. And these are all stories in it. There might be on the surface a connection between the stories, but maybe once you get deeper, you see something. I like that idea. So I think that 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 is the approach, is that he's looking at this whole region of the country as a place where all of these terrible crimes have unfurled. They are not necessarily connected to each other, or at least they're only connected to each other thinly in the sense that they take place in the same world with a couple of characters bobbing and weaving throughout it. But he doesn't want to tell, you know, a story where Molly Salverson is solving a crime every year because he doesn't feel like that's true to to a character like Molly or true to the reality of that situation. So I think that's a big part of the reason why we're getting uh, an anthology approach. But before we dig too deep into into season one, which I know we all want to do, uh, Antonio, I want to turn the floor over to you because you feel very sensitive and very precious about this idea. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So let me, let me just turn it over to you and you can you can say your spiel. I just think people should stay spoiler free. If, you know, we, we do these podcasts, we podcast about the leftovers, True Detective, whatever. I see a lot of, well, I don't watch the show, but I listen to the podcast and we appreciate that. Watch this show. 
watch this show unless yeah. you have a serious problem with violence or or a little bit of like uh movie movie gore you know shootings and blood and what have you watch this freaking show like this is this is the one uh, more so than just about any that we've talked about where i can uh, comfortably say that if you like things like this in any way this is a home run like and you don't i press pause please come back and listen to us once you've watched season one you will be able to watch season two of this show if you haven't watched season one it is being presented as josh noted as jeremiah was just talking about an anthology format so it's it's take it takes place in a similar vein uh there are references to the incidents that are going to be depicted in season two throughout season one but there, there, you can watch the second season without the first. You shouldn't do it. You should go watch the first season. It's streaming on Hulu right now. Uh, you'll have to sit through some commercials, but it'll be worth it. I promise. Yeah, yeah, and you know if they want to, they can do what I'm doing. I, in all intents, I intended to make sure I watched season one again right before we start podcasting, and I have to admit, I failed in that. A miserable classic cl- pan horse. Classic pan horse. I pulled it, but you know what I'm doing? I I, I watched started, I watched the pilot uh, last night. I'm planning on trying to uh, keep watching it. So I'm almost going to be watching it simultaneously with the season two. But I agree with you, Antonio. You got to watch the first season because this was such a well done show. This is for me top five shows that's on television right now. Yeah, it's really really good. Yeah. It's it's really excellent. Like if you're a Breaking Bad person and you haven't watched Fargo, you'll love Fargo. If you were a Justified person, and you haven't watched Fargo, you will love Fargo. Fargo is really good. It's cinematic uh, to the point that there's there isn't even really a traditional opening credits at all. You get you get um you get a little bit of a like an MGM Productions and a, this is based on a true story and you get these little things and then it gives you a really epic title card of Fargo. Uh, but there's there's no main cast. There's no series regulars that. Are are listed there's no directed by that's listed in the front of the show they save all that for the back it really feels like each episode is a little movie um it's it's so cinematic it's so beautifully shot it's so funny it's really really funny these characters are hilarious (laughs) and they are also so capable of terrible things and most most of the time it's terrible things in terms of what they do to each other and also the way in which they do it are terribly thought out ideas yeah uh, for for many and many many of these people so it's really great I agree with Antonio and Jeremiah. You really ought to watch season one of Fargo before you dive into season two. Certainly before you dive into the next section of this podcast, because we are going to get into spoiler details of season one. I watched all of season one, and granted, I'm a little bit of a psychopath, but I watched all of season one in a 24-hour period. What? I think he, 24 I think hours? Can, That's awesome. Yeah, I, I sat down. I turned on the pilot. I knew that we were going to be podcasting about this pretty soon. I was like, all right, let me let me start getting into this, and then it just started. I, I couldn't stop once I started. So yeah. carve out some time. Give yourself a little bit of time. It's 10 episodes. Each episode is about an hour, an honest hour. Again, it's on Hulu. Uh, you can do it. If you're a binge watcher, you're going to be able to do it. So get into it. And I think we should give an extra prize. So tweet us if you are able to finish in less than 24 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good idea. The hashtag Fargo Marathon is what we want to hear from yeah. you. you can tweet, tweet that to Jeremiah at JPanhorst. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. Two Z is one R. I'm at Round Howard. Let us know how you do on the binge. Uh, all right. Is that good enough for you, Antonio? I think that's good enough. I just, I think you guys covered it. I really can't believe how good season one is. And saying each little episode is like a movie is legit. They put a lot of effort, not only into the beginnings of each episode and making them cinematic and different. Uh, sometimes you're, you're like, what are we watching? What character is this? I don't remember this character. And it's a new thing that you're learning for the first time. The ends of the episodes are also similarly built uh, so that they end on emotional notes. Sometimes it's a cliffhanger, but a lot of the time it's just like, wow, what hath God wrought? Like, this is what right. happened. Like, this is crazy. So it is so, so well done. The score is fantastic. There are notes and, and moments of the original score of the film, uh, but it's got its own kind of great, great musical score that accompanies. You've got character themes uh, musically that are really fun. They're just great guest stars. There's just so very much that can be said about season one. And we're about to get into the specifics of it. But if you haven't watched it, go do it, please, please. Go, go do it, please. All right. Definitely. Well, let's get let's get into the specifics of it. Uh, Antonio, give us the give us the general overview of Fargo season one. What did people miss? What happened in this season? Uh, there was a thing that happened. It it's really an interesting story because it's this. There's a lot of kind of what you imagine this little town of Bemidji. Uh, you've got a lot of simmering 
kind of evil. You, people that have horrible situations in their lives or situations that are, let's just say they're like a, like a pile of oily rags and dried newspaper. Uh, and they're just waiting for a spark. Uh, you've got Lester Nygaard played by Martin Freeman, who's in a marriage where he's hounded all the time. And he's, he's on very, very, very unhappy in his marriage. And his wife is constantly berating him. Uh, he's unhappy at work. His brother's more successful than he, uh, he's just got a really kind of put upon life. Uh, and into this life, uh, all that happens is he has an interaction with the bully that used to bully him in high school. And from there, things really just get off the rails. The bully bullies Lester again. Lester breaks his nose. He goes to the hospital. He meets, what, what would you say, a predator? Is that, is that what the, the answer to the riddle <laughs> yeah, was? Covered in shades of green. Covered yeah. in shades of green, a predator in the form of Billy Bob Thornton, Lorne Malvo, a hitman who was passing through town uh, and who got into an accident uh, because he hit a deer. And they meet up in the hospital, and then an incredible conversation occurs. And this happens in the pilot, of course. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose. It's a lot. I think, Josh, I texted you like a great uh, Batman comic called The Killing Joke, where the Joker's whole premise is if he can make uh, if he can make Jim Gordon have a really horrible day, then he can turn him evil. That that any person is really just one really bad series of events away from turning into a true force of nature and evil. And that is exactly what happens with Lester Nygaard once he comes into contact with Lorne Malvo. And Malvo doesn't just inflict that kind of destruction and chaos on Lester, he inflicts it on anybody he comes into contact with. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You, you said killing joke. And I think that I texted back to you that I feel like Lester Nygaard's like fast Heisenberg. Like it's a, re it's like a really quick breaking bad story for this guy where it's a one season story for this character who starts off as a bit of a schmuck put upon by life. Uh, he does a really terrible thing. He kills his wife. Things really spiral out of control from there. And he just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. The more lies he tells, the more people he puts in harm's way. And there's really no redemption arc for the guy. Unlike something like Breaking Bad. Uh, he's really just an awful, awful... I, I have a question for you guys, Jeremiah especially. Um, do you think Lester ever kills his wife if he never meets Billy Bob, if he never meets Lauren Malvo in that hospital? That's a great question. I, I like to think that he would because... You'd like to think, think that, huh? Hmm. I'd like to think Dark. that because... Well, because... The guy, you, I mean, as soon as we meet him, we see the, the verbal abuse he's getting from this woman. And you could tell, like, that first moment when he leaves the ho his home to, and when, before he runs into that his old bully buddy, uh, Hess or whatever his name was, Ham Sam Hess. Before he does all that, you can tell when he goes to leave the house, like, he wanted so badly to just turn around and bash her face in at that moment. But I do think, though, you're right. I don't think he would have ever really gone all the way without the influence from uh i don't i don't think that would have happened josh what do, you, what do think? you think yeah it's it's uh it's what what the writer it's what noah holly describes as civilization meets the wilderness uh it's this idea of you've got you've got a character like lauren malvo who just has this this wild streak in him who is just this really this bear of a man and i feel like the the bear aspect is obviously really you know he's described as a wolf but there's the bear trap at the end there's just this very primal scary animalistic guy who meets this person who's just living by society's rules even though he is not um really benefiting or flourishing in society's rules and i don't think that that's a guy who just snaps without some sort of kick in the pants and I think that Lorne Malvo is that kick in the pants. And Holly describes it as when Lester meets Malvo, when civilization meets the wilderness, there's a level of infection. Uh, so he's infected by the wild. And I think that that's something that he needs in order to start him on this journey. I don't know if I want to say I would like to think that he would have <laughs> killed his wife because that, that feels a little scary to me, Jeremiah. No, but it's, I mean, what, because I've, it's guy, what I've come to expect from I, you I, at this point. I say that because the guy does continue not to do these right. terrible things. And it makes me wonder, does a human being already have that inside them and it just takes some meeting someone to set them over the edge but you know if it wasn't marvel maybe it was somebody else i i don't know but yeah i i agree that he meet when he meets him that's when everything changes for him it was just enough push for him to say you know what i'm i'm getting rid of this gal i'm, I'm tired of her and it just right. you know and by the way were you guys like me i mean you knew it was leading up to him doing it but the way the murder happens was I was just like, oh, snap, you know, <laughs> as soon as he, sl he slams her, that hammer right. her head, I was like, whoa, hello. Yeah, 
Yeah, then he continues to do it. Is yeah. the thing. It's like there's the moment where she falls over and he's like, ah, oh, oh, geez. And then he just keeps hammering her it was, over and over again and still being like, ah, oh, man. Oh, God. It's like if someone just tried a new flavor of ice cream and takes a first lick and goes, damn, that's good. And he keeps on licking and licking. And it's like, this is fantastic. Yikes. He like, oh hits God. her one time and he's like, whoa, this is fun. I want to keep hitting her. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, slow down. You're. You're an animal. He just turned into an instant animal. But what's great about it is because he's he's that kind of guy that you everybody knows, right? He's the your neighbor, that that awkward, you know, goofy neighbor who seems really quiet and keeps to himself or whatever. And then this guy does this to his wife. It's crazy. Jeremiah, have you been a bad boy? Yes, I have. He yes, has. sir. We know. I'm a bad mamma jamma. Yeah, he's bad. So those are those are two of obviously the very big characters. And what's great is they have this big tornado of a meeting in the pilot, and then right. they don't see each other again for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Malvo goes off on his own quest to get the Fargo money, the money from the movie, uh, which is a great little touch and a great little callback and a great little nod that these uh, that this is a shared universe. Right. That the Fargo movie and the Fargo TV series they're telling different stories, but they take place in the same world where these things both happen. I love that. Um, so. You get you get Malvo. He's going after the money. You've got Lester, who's just really trying not to get caught. And then you've got someone like Molly Salverson, who for me is the best character of the series. Allison Tolman, who's coming out of you know she's a a Chicago comedian. She hasn't done a ton of stuff before coming into Fargo, and she just steps up and owns the Francis McDormand type of character. Mm-hmm. Anthony, what do you think of Molly? Fantastic! Salverson? Like she is so good. And what's really interesting is in the pilot, of course, one of the initial setups is that. Maybe she's not so good at her job. She forgets to look in a trunk for a car. She doesn't have this experience. And it's very quickly established in that pilot that it isn't about her not necessarily being smart. She's brilliant. She really has a great deductive uh, mind. She is calling almost almost perfectly with the exception of it being murder for hire. She's calling all aspects of the crimes really with just a little bit of evidence. She's piecing it together fantastically. But what you get is that she doesn't have the experience. And I think the the deer in the trunk story, the chief tells her like, well, don't worry about it. I've had this happen so many times. You know, you always look in the trunk. You'll, you'll remember to look in the trunk. And so you get this idea that she's brilliant. She just needs a little more seasoning. And then she doesn't get the opportunity to get that seasoning because crime happens, like things happen and the chief is killed and she's immediately thrust into this position where she is by far the most capable officer, not only on her force, but on on the forces in several counties or surrounding cities. And so she has to just deal with this. And she's also playing a lot of other emotions. She doesn't want to you know, disappoint her father, who was a police officer and who left the force because of injury. He doesn't want her on the force because of injury. Uh, there's just there, she doesn't want to disappoint her, the, her surrogate father on the force, the previous chief. And, and she has a crush on Colin Hanks's character. It just she plays all of it so wonderfully. And she's so dogged in her determination to to break this, to get Malvo and, and Lester and just fantastic. It's a, of all the things uh, about not, you know, about series two taking place earlier than series one. We're going to see Molly as a child and that's great. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to miss Allison Tolman. Uh, she was just perfect for this role. Yeah, it's it's a shame because I get the idea of well, if we just had the continuing adventures of Molly Salverson solving crimes now that she's you know police chief and all of this stuff, that it's going to take away from the impact of what she endured here. That this was that moment of her life. That this was the this was the fire that she had to go through in terms of her career as a cop. And if we were just to do season two, is more Molly Salverson solving crimes? It takes away a bit of the realism from that. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the reason why. We won't see that character again in that context. I get it. I agree with it. It's a bummer because she's great. Yeah, when I first – I mean I was not familiar with Allison's work, but once I watched Fargo, I'm intensely paying attention to what she's up to because I thought she was tremendous in the first season and by far definitely one of the best characters of the season. And for all the reasons like Antonio said, her character was just – was great. I just really enjoyed watching her. Yeah. She doesn't have a ton – doesn't have a ton on the docket right now. Uh, doesn't, no, doesn't I'm have surprised. A lot, doesn't have a lot going on. Antonio, I see she was in an episode of Review. I wasn't going to say anything until you stopped talking, but uh, yep, you got to catch up. <laughs> she was in Series 2 of Review. She's in she's an episode of Review. She's got a movie called The House that's filming She's right in Krampus, now. I think, mm-hmm. uh, which she's in Krampus. should be an entertaining flick. 
So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what comes up next for Allison Tolman. I hope a lot of really good stuff. I think we can. We can. Um, do, do you want to talk about some of the minor characters that you really like? Not the people who work in the mines, but people who are kind of secondary <laughs> yes, characters. Antonio, my favorite. That, that I know that. Yeah. You, you you love you love this this cast, and it's a fantastic cast. Just the amount of people who are recognizable faces from um, uh, from Bob Odenkirk to Oliver Platt and Glenn Howerton. Like, there's just an insane roster of people who are signing up. For this. Yeah, Keith Carradine. You've got. Uh, just like like I mean, it goes on and on and on and of course they're gonna they're gonna do the same thing with uh with the second series you're gonna have lots of big names like ted danson and patrick wilson and uh adam arkin and people like that just kind of showing up so it, it and nick offerman it's gonna be loaded in the second series as well i don't know it, it it's so great because the 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 story with oliver platt's character uh the kind of king of the regional grocery chains uh the june what is it june and january January and june or something january yeah january and whatever yeah it's like uh it's just he is fantastic uh in terms of the weirdness of that story so i i don't know how it necessarily fits in the overall story except to say that malvo just comes into contact with uh, with that kind of storyline and decides to go full full bore on it, uh, but he it's so weird that he's in there uh, and it fits. It's just it's it's just this and it's only like three episodes, right? But it's so right. it's so odd how that all plays out. And I I really like that. I really love Key and Peel uh, as sort of this. I think that uh, we had seen on our on our site uh, post show recaps on the show page for this. Um, or and actually, no, this was tweeted at us. Uh, we, we had a good comparison to them being the kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. That was from Michael J. Uh, and they were just these kind of characters who were in the background the whole time, who were sort of ob- observing the story from a different view, and we were getting their view. Uh, they, were, they were great, uh, I, and I really enjoyed kind of their situation and the way that played out. I don't know. I really like the weirdness of what we don't get in terms of how organized organized crime is in this uh, in this show. So there's a character who I, I think lives in Nevada who Lorne, is like Lorne Malvo's boss, essentially, that dispatches Lorne Malvo from place to place. I think he's in Reno. Uh, and then Lorne Malvo goes from place to place killing people, and he's also kind of doing his own little side jobs. We see that. We see a weird organized crime group in Fargo who is the sort of bosses of Sam Hess. Uh, and there, there's a great scene with a fish, and they're all kind of chatting over this lunch. And then the guy, the leader, is just like, Sam Hess. That's yeah. so great. Like, there's just so many great yeah. little characters <laughs> like that. I don't know. What do you? He's just chewing on that, like, chili tie fish Yeah, head. and he's like, I don't care if it's, if it's outside the family. I don't care. Life for a life. Death for a death. That's it. You right. know? He's dead. Like, so right. he's basically just saying, like, Kill, kill anybody, like kill anybody responsible or involved for this. I don't care if it wasn't an organized crime move. So I think that that, that is all great. Um, when they come back into play, that is fantastic. Uh, when Billy Bob goes to take them on, uh, I don't know. There, I, do, do you guys have other favorites? There's just so many good things that are happening in this series. Even if only I, I, the one thing I didn't mention, I'm leaving it to you guys. Uh, the, uh, the, the boys that come down from Fargo. Oh Yeah. Oh, Jeremiah, yeah, absolutely. You like? Yeah, and no, I was trying – well, I'm trying to go through – I mean, you've already mentioned a bunch of them. I thought uh, Kate Walsh was really great as Gina, Gina Hess. She plays a, plays that character just perfectly. She's Almost ridiculous. exactly what you expect from the, someone that the Sam would be married to. It was right. great. Uh, yeah, there were so many of them. And unfortunately, since I don't have it quite as fresh in my mind as you guys do, but those that was one that kind of stood out uh, along with some of the ones you just uh, mentioned, Antonio. There was a lot of great side characters that had such interesting – stories like you said even though it may only been for a little bit but you were intrigued to see their side of things and what's going on and it was just fantastic yeah i do i do think that uh numbers and wrench deserve special recognition as kind of like the steve buscemi and peter stormare of the tv series version like there's a lot of analogs it's a different story different characters mm-hmm. but a lot of analogs with the people from the movie obviously lester nygaard is the bill macy type of character and i think a lot of people thought that billy bob thornton coming into this thing was going to be the steve buscemi but i think that that ends up being mr numbers and mr wrench adam goldberg and russell harvard playing those two characters and they are great like their sign language 
scenes. Is that actual sign language or is that just their I spoken think, language? I think it's their own thing. I mean, I'm not an ASL <laughs> certified person, but it's it, it's so comedic. It's so ridiculous. Yes. It's it's so yeah. good. And like when yeah. you get when you get um you know the translation, when you get the subtitles for those scenes, it's very fantastic. Mm-hmm. Their big shootout in the snowstorm is really great. Their relentless pursuit of Lester is fantastic. I love their I they love are, their their ice fishing way of disposing of bodies. Yes, yeah. it's great. It's really, really good. And I also love how that that's a callback because that's what is about to happen to Lester uh, in that yeah. moment when he's finally in their clutches. And, of course, that is what's going to happen to Lester on his on his own terms later on down the line. So I think right. that that's a really cool call ahead. I was really bummed when Numbers bit it, when, when Lloyd yeah. Malvo finally got him because those are two characters. And I don't think that this necessarily means that it couldn't happen, but those are two characters that I would love to see again on a future Fargo season. Cause I think that those are two guys that you could see popping in and out of the crime scene around the Midwest. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. It's Absolutely. a lot. It's a lot. Of, I mean, I definitely, you can't say we're going to set this in Bemidji and a, we're going to do a, sto- a different story every season because there just isn't right. that much crime in Bemidji. I mean, there a lot is made when Bob Odenkirk is on the scenes of these violent crimes. He's basically puking cause he's not used to seeing these sorts of things. <laughs> like this is not your yeah. like uh, bones esque investigators who are looking at right. dead bodies all day long that's the whole kind of central premise of fargo it's why fargo works it's taking the darkest most violent kind of things criminal things you can think of and setting it in this totally what is perceived to be like not backwards per se but just like innocent and happy setting right more barren i mean because you think about it uh, most people when you and most tv shows and movies are you know high these kind of crimes you know you're you're used to seeing in places like new york or somewhere like that but this habits in this setting in the north central part of the country is not something you normally think of you think of this being a, a really nice place where there's a lot of you know really down to earth type people who live very simple lives but yet there here comes evil and that evil is as can be everywhere including somewhere that you would not expect it and i you're right that is exactly the appeal to me of fargo not only the movie but obviously now the tv show yeah so, so that, I, I i agree 100 percent. yeah so that that plays really well in terms of that but it only like you can't have it happen all the time but you could do that if you followed numbers and wrench because they're in the criminal enterprise and they're clearly going Absolutely, city right. to city so there is an opportunity i think depending on the stories they tell to bring those characters back uh and in a couple of others. if it's pre-2006 yep, we're good if it's pre-2006 we're good so there are opportunities there uh and i think we could see that i don't know that we have an opportunity to see steven root again i really like steven root popping up as kind uh, of that was a great great use of yeah him, it really was and it that I don't. I mean, that is one of the most ridiculous things, by the way, that happens in the context of this entire season. Is we, I, the the courageously bold choice of doing the time jump uh, and kind of how they play all that out mid episode too. Yeah, 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 and just mid shot, like the way this whole sequence plays out. Uh, you you follow right. just kind of a tracking shot, uh, and the seasons change slightly enough, and the landscape just differs slightly enough that it, time passes, and it's crazy. Uh, yeah, that it's 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 Gus from a cop car to Gus in the in the in postal, the postal car, car. You know, in yep. the postal truck. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. It's it's really good. It's really smart. Uh, you get you get to the point where you don't really know what's happening anymore. When the next episode picks up and you start to see what Malvo has been up to, and he's you know he's got the the signature Billy Bob Silver Fox look going on again. He's a dentist. For me, I don't know about you. You know, he's going around and saying aces yeah. to everything. Like <laughs> for for me, I almost wasn't sure because the character is such uh, a malicious force that he's he really is in some level more of a monster like an eternal monster than an actual human being that I was not a hundred percent positive that it was the same guy until, you know, we start getting the stuff with Lester. Once that starts getting reintroduced, obviously it's the same guy, but that was, it, it, they did such a convincing job of confusing the shit out of people uh, that I, I, I just thought that was masterful. I thought Jeremiah, was really what was the reaction week to week to some of these things, including when Billy Bob was pulling off the Frank Peterson minister kind of identity as well? Um, were people, speculating online about how he was able to 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 pull off these things or uh was there any discussion over whether there was confusion or anything like that or how did that all play out i try to remember i don't i think there was some confusion like you said but that's that's what made it kind of brilliant as people were a little confused but it's at that point but uh i i don't ever remember it being you know that anybody took it negatively i think they it was a positive 
feel you know, feel of the, the the way everything played out. So I don't remember recall anybody having anything other than positive reactions to it. So, but uh, you know, I I just. I think it uh, went over pretty good, if I remember right. Yeah, it was. I mean, it. There's no doubt that it that it it was great. I mean, if you if you guys have, I mean, if you rewatch it, even when he first pretends to be the minister, when he's getting quote unquote interrogated, you see a totally different character out of Billy Bob, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and then you see a totally different one when he's the dentist, and it's just like. Wow. Like, of course, this is his job. Like, he has to kind of portray these different things and he has to occupy different identities and he has to do these things well, but he's really good at it. And it's it's fantastic. And it's kind of a meta commentary as an actor. Right. He's acting within a show. Uh, and that's really cool to see. Uh, we got to talk about the violence on the show. And what's making me think about that is thinking about the end of Lorne Malvo. Lorne Malvo's final scene on the show when Gus finally corners him and says, I figured out your riddle. And he says, and what did you figure out? And he just gets shot a million times and somehow still survives it. And it's just snarling and smiling blood at this guy. Like this is a really terrifying creature. And he just gets shot in the face, in the mouth, in the head. And it's so gross. Antonio. It, this show is disgusting. Yeah, if, like I said earlier, if you're, if unfortunately, if you have problems with blood uh, or gore, this is not the show for you. There is literally what? a shower of blood uh, with poor Oliver Platt, poor Starvos. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, like that is just a, sh- a shower of blood happens there. Um, there's blood on the floor in Lester's house pretty much the entire time. Uh, there are bloody shootings. There, it is. It is very much in keeping with. Uh, is that your partner in the wood chipper there? Like it's very much in right. keeping with the darkness of of Fargo itself. Um, and I think that I think that that's great. I mean, I think that you have to kind of occupy that space. Um, we had a question from Chris Burton on our post-show recaps page about how do you feel they did adapting the film to a TV show? Uh, It has a similar tone and look, and many of the characters, as you were talking about, Josh, have similar traits. Um, Most obviously, uh, Chris points out the wise female cops who wipe the floor with their male counterparts. But I'm interested to know, do you think that they did more in terms of violence uh, than than the flick uh, could have done or did do? And do you think that they purposefully pushed the envelope in that regard? Or is this just something they, they really embraced and they just went with it? I think I think that they embrace it and they ran with it. And I think that the fact that they've got 10 hours to tell this story as opposed to two, you know, makes a world of difference in terms of how much violence can be in the yeah. thing. And I think I think that it's it's Cohen-esque instincts. I think that they that Noah Hawley says, how would this play out in the Cohen brothers' hands? And he always goes in the direction that you feel the Coens would go in. And I think that involves a scene where Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman are in an elevator with a bunch of people that Billy Bob is grifting. And Billy Bob would say, do you really want this to happen? happen yes or no and it would end with that character just assassinating everybody in the elevator you know it's just how it would play out in this world so i think it's very true to the world i think that the 10 hour time frame obviously allows more opportunities for that kind of violent thing yeah yeah and i agree with josh completely i mean it's it definitely helps having 10 hours to tell the story and you could be able to do a lot more with that than you could, of course, in the film. So. Yeah, and I think that's probably the main part of it. I didn't think that they were that they were. It was so violent that they were trying to distinguish themselves from the film, or that mm. they or that they so. did that in any way. Uh, I think it, like you said, Josh. I think that the Cohen Goen uh, kind of connection was there. Like, what directions would the Coens uh, go in? And that's that's what we saw. Like, I think that generally speaking, nothing I saw was terribly out of line. Uh, with that, uh, and in, and as a matter of fact, a lot of it was it was done in a, in, a, in a tasteful or more artistic way, even though it was bloody. I'm thinking of the sequence where um, the story that uh, that Gus's neighbor tells him about the man, the, almost the parable about the man who wants to give and wants to give everything he can to stop the problems in the world, uh, and you just see his blood eventually splatter on the wall. Um, when he when gives, he gives his, his life, life. Yeah. and I think that that so there's stuff like that that is gory and bloody, but it is done in a kind of cool artistic way as well. So I didn't think that they were that they broke the the kind of form in any way. Um, I did feel a little bit like they might have. The, there is one sequence I wanted to talk to you guys about your favorite sequences in the film. Yeah, it was or just in about the TV that. show. We already talked about the sequence of the time change. I thought that was fantastic. What about the sequence where Billy Bob just goes ham on all the guys from Fargo? He goes to the building. He gets in the building. We don't go into the building with him. We only see the exterior of the building as the camera pans from window to window and floor to floor, and we hear the violence happening. Did you feel like that was something that you wouldn't necessarily see in a Coen Brothers film, but that the TV show did afford them the luxury of doing something fun like that? 
I'm, I could I could see it in a Coen Brothers movie. What about you, Jeremiah? Yeah, I could see it in in, in a Coen Brothers movie. Why not? I mean, that that gives you the mystery. We don't need to see everything that's going on. We could just know by what we're hearing that what's happening. And I think to me, I love that kind of storytelling. I think it's great. I, I think it's a I think it's a fun contrast between that and True Detective. You know, True Detective has this very famous tracking shot in its first season that was very celebrated and deservedly so. It was incredible. It was it was it was groundbreaking. It was it was just it was so intense. It was very action packed. Mm-hmm. It was really impressive the way that it was done. And this is a tracking shot, and I I believe that Noah Hawley has said like this is not necessarily a hat tip to what True Detective did there, but I think that he saw it. He's like, oh, that's really cool. This is our version of it. And it was much more in line with the show of Fargo, where not seeing things, but knowing that Billy Bob Thornton is going through this building and just rampaging a bunch of people and just knowing that he's pulling it off because he's got that bravado and confidence with which to do it. I think to not see it adds to kind of the dark humor of Fargo. I feel like it's very much in line with the tone, and I think it's one of the best scenes in the series. Yeah, I yeah, think it was, so too. it was really great. It, it is great. Uh, there, I mean, there are other great sequences. Are, are there any others that stand out for you guys? I know I have some favorites. Well, I def, definitely the one with the, in the snow. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah the the numbers and wrench versus Molly and and Malvo and everybody in the snow. Oh yeah, that was just oh the whole thing was so well done. I was fantastic. Yeah, I think when Lester. Uh, sends linda into the insurance office wearing his coat yes uh knowing that she's probably going to get killed by lorne malvo or at the very least better her than me and if it's going to be her better make him pretty convinced that it's that it's me and not not her uh that whole scene like that is that's lester nygaard at his absolute scummiest and that's an impressive thing to say about a guy who put a gun in a kid's bag uh, and sent him off to school. Yeah. So this, I, I thought that was so good. I thought that was one of the best scenes in the series. Yeah, because it showed how far his character has gone, right. evil wise. Yeah. I mean, he's he's gone completely off the the deep end now. I think it's. I think it is the best scene in the series. I think it's probably the uh, the it's Breaking Bad caliber. I mean, not even caliber. Like it's in the same class. It is absolutely on that level. Um, it's something you could see Walter White doing, uh, like in, in probably mm-hmm. he does very similar things throughout the course of Breaking Bad, uh, not necessarily to Skyler, but to other people, putting other people in harm's way to protect himself. The other thing about that was I think Lester was a little sick of that wife. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think he's so much of a jerk that he was OK with it happening. Like, I don't think he was like uh, this was a terrible, horrible. Oh, my God, my life is over kind of thing for him. He was already well to the point that when he's talking to the cops afterwards, like it's and, and you know that he's faking it. So that's a piece of it. But it's his least convincing performance, yeah. I think. You know, like he has all of these epic performances for the cops when he's like, I'm the victim here. Uh, and it's just yeah. it's, it's such a bad job that he's putting on when linda dies that i think i think that speaks to yeah he uh, just really I, is a jerk i what i love about it too is because if you look at about the nature of the two wives this one is almost complete opposite of the first wife who was basically verbally abusing him basically telling him he's a loser or nothing and this one seems to just be you know loves everything about lester you know that he's this great you know guy and that he's uh you know a success and all this stuff he and, and then he, but he gets what he, what you would think he would want in a wife, but yet he's obviously completely unhappy and was not sad to see her go whatsoever. So I love that contrast too, that he, you know, here he is, he's finally with a woman who, you know, is, you know, thinks he's the greatest, but yet it's still he can't stand her. She's driving him crazy. <laughs> Oh, it's brutal. It's awesome. Because she, she's, she's, she's so sweet. And she I just know. gets sucked into Lester Nygaard's vortex of awful. I remember screaming at the television going, no, don't put that coat on to get in there. Go, what are you, crazy girl? I know. Because, and he's like, put the hood up. It's cold out there. Yeah. And you just, you know exactly <laughs> you know. what's going to oh, happen. Yeah. You know you know that Malvo's going to pop up and you know that it's just going to go the way that it goes. Yeah, yep. what, a, yep. what a horrible person. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's the worst. He's the worst, but he's so good. Martin Freeman's great in that role. Oh, my uh, it's gosh. Just, it's, a, it's a really great character. It's a really great story, and he's just such a rotten guy. And it really is surprising how far you do go with him, where you're like, you're rooting for him to 
get out of predicaments because you want to see him get into more. Uh, you want to see him get deeper and deeper and deeper. You don't want to see him come out of it just yet. You want to see him continue down the path because you just want to see how far this guy can sink. And obviously at the end of the thing, he sinks not that far, but he freezes over really, really yeah. quick. Um, I just didn't know Bilbo Baggins could get so violent and so <laughs> He was wearing the ring. It was the ring. <laughs> the ring told him to do it. Is that what the happened? The ring told him. Yeah, yeah. He totally smeagled out on these people. Uh, all right, let's 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 uh, move away from season one. Let's we gotta start wrapping up here just for time. Um, let's look ahead at season two. Jeremiah, what are you looking forward to in season two of Fargo? I'm gonna be extremely fascinated to see I guess the one character, the couple characters that I'm very fascinated to see how they turn out is probably going to be Ted Danza's character. I don't know what to expect from Ted as uh, Sheriff Larson. This that's going to be one I'm really looking forward to. Interesting, and I'm really excited to see Kirsten Dunst and Jesse uh, Pelmo's characters. The because I think Ed and Peggy are supposed to be. A big plot point. I mean, they're. I, I know. I don't know all the details. I'm trying to stay as spoiler free as possible. Like I've read some very short synopsis of what the story is going to be about, but I do know that their characters are going to be heavily involved in some of these terrible things that are going to be happening. So I'm very excited to see how they they turn out, and also it will be. I'd be interested to see how Patrick Wilson uh, carries on a young version of of Lou, which was a, a great character last uh, season. That yeah. I thought. Well, so this will be. We, it's gonna be. It's gonna be great to see. Uh, we, yeah. Go ahead, Josh. No, 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 I was just gonna say Keith Carradine's the best, and so big shoes, big shoes to fill for Patrick oh, Wilson yeah. trying to play a young Keith Carradine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, can, yeah absolutely. But uh, well, we'll see how he does. I think that there's a Josh or, or Jeremiah. You kind of hinted at it. I think that Jesse Plemons' character and Michael J asked us the same question on Twitter: Will Jesse Plemons be more of a Landry character? Uh, from Friday Night Lights, or a Todd character from Breaking Bad. Landry is this Christian, yeah, we're going to forget what happened in season two, but he's this Christian kind of upstanding, nice guy, uh, pretty much white bread as Texas and white bread as you can get. And then Todd is that as a facade for a, just a dark, evil kind of a, just a horrible person, uh, maybe even like a, a sociopath. Um, and right. so I think this is a, I think we have to ask ourselves, what, is, what choice did Jesse, Jesse Plemons make here? Well, maybe he's going to be season two Landry, you know, season two Landry, who's famous on Friday Night Lights for, for, you know, turning that show into almost a train wreck yes. with, with the, with the murder cover up subplot that went on over yeah. there. Uh, maybe he'll just play that version of the character who gets involved in something really, really awful and rotten and we get to see him suffer the consequences. But I think that at the very least, we would be getting that immediately rather than having an original season of Landry to root for the guy and then have something completely out of left. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, but I feel, I get the sense that he's going to be more Landry than Todd. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be quite Todd levels, or maybe he'll get there. You know, yeah. certainly, certainly, you didn't think that Lester Nygaard was going to be Heisenberg by the end of Fargo season one, but he he got pretty damn close. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more Todd. I think he's going to be more like Todd. I think he is going to be in the midst of some pretty bad stuff. But hey, I could be wrong. You know, he uh, he was also, by the way, brilliant. Re- I recently saw Black Mass. He plays Kevin Weeks in the movie, and he was he was great in that too. I almost didn't recognize him because they kind of like buffed up his face a little bit more. And at first, I didn't like. Is that who I think it is? And then I like went back and I go, Oh yeah, that's him. He's great, he's great and I I'm, I'm excited that he's going to be. I think he's going to be perfect for Fargo. Yeah, he's he's really really good. Antonio, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward. I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of uh, of Patrick Wilson. Actually, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, him in this kind of role. I'm looking forward to the the time period. I think that having I, I really like the Americans. This show will be set. Uh, Fargo season two will be set a little bit even earlier than that during the late seventies, seventy nine, and so. Yeah. This is. I think this could be great. I think it, it, that that aspect of it could be very interesting. I also. I mean, you talk about No Country for Old Men, and I've mentioned this on this pod or on other podcasts on post show recaps. Here, one of my favorite parts of that movie is that the movie isn't necessarily about that about that money uh, and about the incident that occurs specifically in the context of the narrative. It's really about the Tommy Lee Jones character, the older sheriff who. The world is it's too much for. Uh, but in the, in the 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 title of the film is "No Country for Old Men." Uh, the, prem, the the suggestion being that like horrible things are going down, and the older people that are around can't keep up with it, and they're mm-hmm. not really cut out for that. And then and the world is getting worse. 
And I think if you peel back the layers, even within that film, he, Tommy Lee Jones tells a great story about this horrible crime that occurred in the early 1900s. So if you peel back the layers, you find that, that the crime has always kind of happened uh, over in these places over time. And throughout season one, there's this reference to Sioux Falls. This reminds me of Sioux Falls. This is Sioux Falls all over again. And then we're going to go to Sioux Falls and we're going to see mm-hmm. what it was like then. And I would love it if in the context of series two, the characters are like, this is such and such all over again. And they're referencing something that happened in like 1955. And then series three is 1955. And eventually we are in, uh, in Fargo season, Prehistoric Fargo season Fargo. 10. Yeah, we're in caves. That's how we're going. Yeah. Just like the leftovers, Josh. Yeah, the leftovers season two <laughs> yeah. all over again. So I would love it if, if we have this because I like the idea and that, that you mentioned earlier, Josh, about this sort of bound book of the history of crime in the Midwest. And mm-hmm. you can tell these stories, that they, they reoccur, like that, that evil is not a force that is new. This, people aren't becoming more evil. These things, didn't, these things have happened throughout the course of our history. And we just, they're out of sight, out of mind, uh, because these horrible things were horrible in the little place and time where they occurred. Uh, but they're gone from, from the collective consciousness pretty quickly. And so yeah. I love this, this focus on an earlier time. Uh, to see how the characters dealt with it and to see how that all played out. It, Fargo is a show where there were cell phones in this in this series one. There won't be in series two. So you have the opportunity, I think, to do things differently. The forensic science is going to be a little different. So you have the opportunity to do things differently there. Um, it, it's just an interesting story to tell in an interesting time period. So I'm really looking forward to that more than anything. And I think that it's safe to say that the people involved in the show have earned every ounce of trust from me. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think I'm mostly just looking forward to this cast. Uh, I, I'm very sad to say goodbye to the season one cast because that was such a great assortment of people. But they've assembled a crazy cast for season two. Patrick Wilson, Ted Danson, Gene Smart, who's so good, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons. Just looking down the line here on Wikipedia. Nick Offerman, we're getting Ron Swanson on Fargo. That's <sighs> got to be incredible. That's going to be fantastic. Michael Hogan from Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if either of you guys were when Battlestar people. Tie? Yeah, he's salt eye. Fracking salt eye. Fracking cop in this one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Fracking Fargo. Yeah. So I cannot wait to see what he brings to it. And Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan. Oh, I forgot I about mean, that. I mean, this is going to be yeah, good. Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> This is going to be really fun. It's going to be different, but I, I think, you know, we've got the same creative team. We've got the same producers, Noah Hawley, still in line, still as the writer, still the guy driving the wheel here on Fargo season two. I don't think that they would have done this if they didn't have a really good idea. The early reviews of the season have been really through the roof. People are loving it. So I think that even though we're telling a different story with new characters, we have a really talented cast. The same team that made Fargo season one so good. I think that we're in for a really good show. I think that this is going to be a really fun show to podcast about, and I think it's going to be a really good show uh, just generally. I think that this it's going to be awesome. I'm I'm very excited. I'm very hopeful. Jeremiah, we podcasted about True Detective season two, and Josh is excited and Josh is hopeful. Chris Burton on our post show recaps page said it's a lot. Gonna, you know, it's going to be a reboot a lot like True Detective season two. Uh, it's not going to have the same cast. What do you think it can do to succeed where True Detective Season 2 failed? Uh, is there any way that this could fail in, in, or let us down in ways similar to True Detective Season 2? Or are you as excited as Josh? Well, I'm I'm extremely excited. And I think for exactly what Josh said, I have really faith that Noah is going to pull out another really great story here. Because let's be honest, anybody who watched True Detectives Season 2 knows that there was such a huge failure in the writing that the story was just so hard to follow for a lot of people, and it just really turned a lot of people off. I don't think we're going to get that. I mean, I've I've read a lot of positive things from people who have already seen some of some of the first few episodes, and from what I understand, I do not think that we are going to be looking at this as another True Detective season two. I think this is going to be a huge success, and I think it's because they're going to stick to what worked and not try to change much. And this is. I, I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to have a, a great second season of, of Fargo. What about you? Are you are you concerned? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely I'm concerned a little bit that some people may even not even give it a shot because of what happened with True Detective season two. Like they might be go, ah, you know, it's probably going to be like True Detective season two. I'm not going to like it. It's not going to be nearly as good as the first one. I hope that that is not the mindset that some people have. But I am a little concerned that it might you know, affect some of the numbers for FX, and I'm not sure what they're hoping for. But I hope people realize that this this is not going to be another True Detective season two. 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, there's, it's not a perfect one for one because I think that, you know, Fargo, it's, it's an anthology series where different stories are being told and there's different sets of characters, but it's the same universe confirmed with characters that are linked between seasons one and season two. Yeah, we don't have Allison Tolman, but we do have young Molly Salverson in season two. It's going to be recognizable people. So there's a connection there that True Detective doesn't have in between seasons. There's also a whole pack up and move to another part of the country that True Detective does with season two that makes it a little bit less of a recognizable show from season one. There were huge expectations from season one into season two that I think were going to be really difficult, you know, like a a career best performance from Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson that people are going to be measured against. And that's going to be very difficult to clear. I think that the cast that is assembled just on paper for season two of Fargo gives the season one cast a run for its money. Just looking at it on paper, let's see how it is in practice. But I think the most important part is that the creative team is intact. There isn't behind-the-scenes drama the way that there was with True Detective. I don't think that there's a lot of conflict here. I think that everyone's really happy with the show that's being made. And it's got the, you know, the, the tacit seal of approval from the Coen brothers, which means a lot. You know, the fact that um, this was – when I interviewed – I interviewed Billy Bob Thornton before uh, the first season premiered. And I asked him, you know, because he's worked with the Coens before. And he remembered talking to the Coens about watching the first episode of Fargo. And he said, I asked Ethan about it. And he said he liked it. He saw the pilot and he thought it was good. And if the Coen brothers think something is good, that's like you or me saying it's fantastic. Because uh, he says they're not exactly forthcoming with their feelings sometimes, those guys. Uh, so the fact that they thought it was good is a real you know, kiss, kiss in the ring from the king. I think that Fargo season two, I think it's in good shape. I feel really good about where we can go. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to have that scenario that we had because I think a lot of people were down on Nick Pizziato, or Pizziato, Pizzolatte. <laughs> that we – Pizza latte, that's what we're calling him. And I think a lot of people were down on, on him after season two, thinking that, you know, maybe he really did miss uh, Fukunato. Is that his last name? Who was the his uh, partner in crime? Carrie Fukunaga. Carrie, Carrie, there you go. I don't think we're going to have that with Fargo because I think that Noah's pretty much put together this, a lot of the same people that's going to be helping him with this one. So I think we're going to have a nice repeat of the first uh, season. All right. Antonio, anything else before we, before we well, break? Well, I just, I think that we, we sort of touched on this. We had a great comment from uh, Post Show Recaps on Mike Bloom. Mike Bloom. I've uh, heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Mike said so. In comparison <laughs> to the movie, I felt like the series is much more literary. I'm thinking specifically of the story Malvo tells in the first episode about the crocodile and Key and Peel's conversation of the fox, the rabbit, and the cabbage. Do you guys like this shift to more highbrow writing and does it differ the products too much? And I think you, you were just talking about this, Josh, with the Coen brothers' seal of approval, and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast where this is not just a Fargo-to-Fargo Fargo comparison. This is a what if the Coen brothers and their sort of kind of worldview or their lens uh, or their their way of thinking had a TV show. What would that look like? How would that re- be represented over 10 episodes? And so right. I think it looks I like think this. it looks like this and it's interesting. No, it too. It's interesting Josh to me because specifically you and I just podcasted about the leftovers where Damon Lindelof said he was heavily influenced by something from one of the Coen brothers films for how he approached the the pilot episode of season 2, the premiere episode of season 2. And so I think we're if if we look at Fargo to Fargo, yeah, I think that the TV show is a lot more uh, literary or literate. Um, but if you look at some of the Coen brothers' other works, like A Serious Man, the first th- that begins with a parable or a story, and Fargo, the TV show, is rife with them. There are so many sequences or stories that are just parables that aren't necessarily in the film or in the series for any other reason than a character is telling a story that you're meant to draw your own conclusions from uh, as to the intent. And so I think that yeah, while the 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 show to the show to film comparison is is going to happen and it's accurate. I think it's more important to look at this this series uh not just as a Fargo Fargo thing, but as a this is what the Coen Brothers uh TV shows would look like and I think that that's really what Noah is going for and I think he's really knocking it out of the park. Yeah, knocking it out of the park. All right. So hopefully he's going to continue knocking it out of the park. Season 2 coming up October 12th, October 12th. October 12th is when it's coming. When, when back. are we going to podcast uh, about these, Josh? 
we're we're gonna tr- we're gonna try it for the night of. We're gonna try and record something right after the episode, and hopefully get that up for you guys on Tuesday, so that you can listen to that on your commutes to work or whatever you guys are doing on your days after the Fargo episodes. We're gonna try and get them as close as possible. So keep an eye out on PosterRecaps.com/slash/iTunes. You can subscribe there. We'll have a Fargo-specific iTunes feed coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, PosterRecaps.com. You won't miss an episode. Follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzaro. Jeremiah's at J Panhorst. I'm at Round Howard. Uh, do we have an, uh, a hashtag? Are we going to lift the Fargo embargo? Yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> All it, right. right. Hashtag Fargo embargo. We'll lift the Fargo embargo. Tweet that our way if you guys are going to be along for the ride. Really, really excited about this. I thought that True Detective Season 2 was rocky at points, but we still had a fun time podcasting it. I feel a lot more confident in the quality of Fargo Season 2, which maybe means we're setting expectations up way too high, but I feel like if the first season proved anything, it can really clear lofty expectations. So I'm very excited and very hopeful about Season 2. And, and I, I think we can definitely promise everyone that there probably will be no mention of Friends during the Fargo <laughs> Season 2 as the Friends music is playing. Yeah, yeah, I'm course. not making that promise, Jeremy. Maya. All right, yeah, you're right. Maybe we're tapping. The one where they go right. to Sioux Falls, we're going to start with that. <laughs> okay. And the Friends music stops now. All right, so that's going to that's gonna do it for us here on the preview of Season 2 and the post-mortem of Season 1. Can't wait to talk about Fargo all season long with you guys. Take care, everybody. Farewell.